A lot of people don't even dare to pray for themselves when they're in a strung out state because they say, well, I can't expect God to help me until I get my life together. And where have they got that message that you have to get your life together before you can expect help? You know, we tell people, look, um, sin doesn't separate God from you. Sin makes you a target of God's love. Welcome back to episode three of the ICYA Raw podcast, and I've got fearless leader Kent Duick uh, doing the intros with me today, and um, what do you think? Ron Travers was making fun of my title, because he says it sounds like wrestling, Monday Night Raw. I didn't yeah. watch enough wrestling, so... We are wrestling. We're wrestling with some very complicated themes. See, he went meta. He took it yeah. metaphorical right away. Yeah, we're going to be wrestling with that. <laughs> That's true. And today's uh, episode three uh, is featuring Bob Ekblad, who you could say is a, he's a wrestler. He's a... Yeah, he's a spiritual wrestler. He's, uh, I mean, he's, we spent the week with him. And, uh, you know, these days you you kind of want to expose yourself to, to ideas that stretch you, like mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. I want to keep growing. And... Uh, and so uh, Bob spent the week with us, and he took us. Uh, you kind of find out how deep Scripture is, and how how much uh, Scripture speaks to our lives on a day to day basis. Yeah. And so, and with Bob, was it not the case that uh, the defining feature was he doesn't fit in any box? Like you know, if you have left wing, right wing, charismatic, traditional, conservative, uh, he doesn't fit in anyone's no, box. He, He's a standalone. He's, yeah, uh, yeah he, he kind of has elements that, I would say kind of like the best elements of, of both left or yeah. right. Yeah. And he just kind of takes the, the, those, those best elements. And I think it's, it's tied into the fact that he is most interested in the fl- flourishing and, and the spiritual transformation of people on the margins. That's right. So he is going to take, he's, he's like, he's hungry to, to, eat anywhere. That's right. Like if it's going to help, if it's going to help communities that are struggling, he is going to grab those and, ideas. And every aspect them. of the gospel him, for him flows through there. Jesus yeah. comes to the poor. Jesus comes to those who are pushed to the edges of society, rejected, outcast. That's where it starts. Everyone is included. Everyone is invited, but uh, it flows from that place, right? Yeah. For Bob. Yeah. And I think... Uh, uh, at the end of the evening, um, my son and I were talking about it, my, and, and he, he made a point, and it was that, uh, you know, when we were talking about kind of uh, meth and its impact, there's this kind of, we throw down some, some things, but, you know, like uh, talk about the importance of relationship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, but Bob always brings it back to, well, yes, relationship, but actually relationship with Jesus. Whereas we tend to reflex, our reflex is to think we need to be involved in, in restorative relationships, which is true, yeah. but it's, I think that, it's you It's also know, true and even truer that if it doesn't flow from that relationship, uh, you're going you're gonna to run into problems. Yeah. 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 Now, Kent is referencing uh, what happened in March. Bob Eckblad came from, where is he from? Uh, Washington somewhere. <laughs> Olympia? <laughs> Or Seattle, Vancouver, Washington. Something like that. 
apologies, Bob, if you're listening to this, but we he's he's from the West Coast, and he works with uh, people who are have spent a lot of time in prison or escaping gangs and pretty rough situations. And he came Tierra to Nueva. Tierra Nueva is the name of the organization ministry that him and his wife Gracie uh, Gracie are are involved in, and uh, yeah, they do. They've been doing great work for years and years and years since early in the early days. They were in South America, uh, no Central America, mm-hmm. uh, working on agricultural, you know, related development things, yeah. and that led into uh, uh, a time when. Well, I think he had a pretty wild spiritual retransformation. People really need to search up his video on YouTube. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable kind of the experience that Bob had. Mm-hmm. But Bob's also an author. He's written two books, um, The Christian Manifesto and uh, Reading the Bible with the Damned. Mm-hmm. And, and he came uh, to see us for about a week Yes, in March yeah. mm-hmm. for the purpose of? Training and uh, and challenging our, our kind of paradigm on, on how to do work here in our community. So lots of nights he was training our staff, but one night... We went to CMU, Canadian Mennonite University, and invited... How many people were there that night? We had a full house, everything. It was sold out. It was, it was over 200 people. And uh, To hear Bob talk about only. related issues uh, to his ministry and to... Uh, I think it was specifically on the meth crisis in Winnipeg. And so that's what you're going to hear. Uh, coming up now. Right, thank you. So uh, I feel uh, when Andrew invited me to give this talk, I was like very intimidated. I thought, oh, you know, I'm not an expert in recovery, and you know, what do I, what do I have to say about meth? And and then I realized, well, I mean, I've been 25 years working with, you know, with addicts and as a cha- jail chaplain, and uh, I've seen meth. I saw the transition from crack and heroin into meth back in 2002, 2003 in our county. And um, our whole church is made up of meth users who are in recovery or not yet in recovery. And so I've learned just through working. It's, it's uh, the daily life of our ministry. And um, so I just want to share some perspectives. And I've, I have quite a few little video clips because I've interviewed a lot of my, the people that come to our church. Um, right now we've got a, a crew of people that are coming that are people that are the, a lot of them are the ones that introduced meth into our county, who were, who've spent the last 20 years in prison, in and out, over and over, and now they're clean and they're, I've got them speaking. Um, So, you know, um, I began working with uh, inmates who were Spanish speakers. Um, I got asked to be chaplain, I I never imagined that I could be a chaplain of a jail, and, um, but I could to the Mexicans. Um, And then, um, I started to meet these amazing farm worker people and and then their kids who were uh, gang involved and eventually meth uh, and methamphetamine involved and my heart just went out to these people and I found my heart broken through uh, just listening to their stories and uh, and then um, some of them you know losing their lives and all of that just kind of pushed all of us uh, further and deeper uh, looking for the gospel that has the power to save. And we've often felt like our gospel has been weak and inadequate, and we've been humbled um, over and over again by the struggles of people. Um, that's brought us to Jesus in fresh ways, returning over and over. You know, Jesus, like, uh, how do we do? How do we do this ministry? It's how do we do this ministry of yours? 
Um, you know, we, when I think of some of the reasons why we would reach out to meth users, um, the text that comes to mind first and foremost is, I suppose, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. And certainly the meth users are the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Um, as we'll see, pretty much every meth user I've ever met anyway, um, it's the pain and suffering of their childhood you know, traumas and traumas throughout their lives that they're trying to annihilate with the drug. Um, he sent me, um, the Lord, okay, the Spirit, to bind up um, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Um, so we see that Jesus cites this text in his first sermon, doesn't he? He's, he reads this from the uh, prophet Isaiah, and then he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this is like his mission statement. Um, so it should be ours as well. Um, we see that Jesus, uh, we see what that looks like in the Gospels. Um, the sick, um, the demonized, they, they came to Jesus. They brought their sick friends to Jesus and, um, and he laid his hands on them and healed them. And um, demons also were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. You know, they were recognizing um, him as the, as the savior. Um, crowds were searching for him. Um, and he, uh, they wanted him to stay, stay with us, Jesus. Um, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus was on the move from place to place. Um, he didn't found a church, did he? Or he didn't found one church anyway. Um, so a text that has been a critical one for us has been Ezekiel 34, 2 to 6. Um, this has been sort of a, a foundational text for, for Gracie and I. Woe, shepherds of Israel, who've been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? There's all this talk of the fat sheeps, the fat sheep in uh, X. You guys have sheep around here in Winnipeg? Not so much, huh? <laughs> so, um, those who are sickly you have not strengthened, right, says the prophet. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you've dominated them. In our case, through the prison system. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock were scattered over all the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or seek for them. So when, when we think of the skinny sheep, we think of meth users. Okay, we think of uh, others, you know, um, who are struggling with, um, you know, the opiates. We have a huge heroin problem in our, in our county, too. Um, and so what does it look like to reach these folks? What does it look like to go out and to seek after the, the, the lost and, the, and, and, to, and to reach them? Um, you know, we know from experts like uh, Gabor Mate that uh, addictions always originate in pain. Whether felt openly or hidden in the unconscious, they're emotional anesthetics and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. So 
Luke 15, um, the parable of the lost sheep, is, um, is where we see Jesus really uh, drawing from the same metaphor of the sheep. Um, he says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? So our ministry, um, we, we, we uh, well, oh yeah, here's, oh yeah, I already said that. This other text, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So our ministry specializes in hard-to-reach sheep, I'd say. You know, we, uh, we go after the gangster sheep, <laughs> the, the ones that other people maybe have given up on as just being too stubborn or difficult or, or just uh, wily, lost. And, um, you know, our, our ministry for years, all of our staff, their, their staff photos were holding sheep because we actually had 12 sheep, our, my wife Gracie and I, and that we raised. And um, so this metaphor is, you know, is really powerful, you know, going after violent offender sheep. And where do we find them? Well, we find them behind razor wire in prisons. We find them on the streets of our county. We find them coming to our family support center. This couple, Kevin and Danielle, um, they came, um, Kevin was sleeping in, um, under a truck in our parking lot. Um, doing meth, and he'd been doing meth for 10, 15 years, and um, his wife, his girlfriend at that time, was pregnant and in jail, and uh, one of our pastors invited him to come and sleep on the couch of our family support center, and then invited him into our recovery house, and Kevin's now a pastor with our ministry five years later. Um, This is what he has to say about this next point of when he finds it, when when he finds the the sheep. What does the church need to know about responding to this uh, meth epidemic? And like how, what would be your strategy? To know that you're not gonna fix it in one shot. Mm -hmm. That it's gonna be an ongoing process. Um, Not everybody who comes through the doors is gonna be ready to give it up or even admit that they have a problem. Mm -hmm. So how do you establish, you need to establish trust um, and you need to establish relationships um, um, and non-condemning relationship. So this is something I hear over and over with people. You know, it's about relationship. And we always talk about um, how we're not on the side of, of, of recovery. We're on the side of the, of the person, of the addict. If you get too much on the side of recovery and you're just applauding when people are making the right, the right choices to step into recovery, then, then when they relapse, then they, they're ashamed and they don't want to come to you. If you're on their side, then regardless of what they do, hopefully the, the door will be open. Okay? And, and when the church gets too, behind, too much behind programs and, uh, and, and that becomes the agenda rather than the, the human being, then I think we, you know, we lose the point. Um, Luke 15 continues. Um, you know, when, when, when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, what does he do? Does he scold it? Does he, does he fine it? Does he put it in prison? You know, um, we, we talk about this in Bible studies a lot, you know, like, what was the lost sheep doing when the shepherd found him? You know, was he praying? Was he reading his Bible? Was he repenting? Um, and people are like, no, he was lost. Well, when were you lost? You know, have you, have you ever been lost? What were you doing when you were lost? Well, getting high, you know, um, shooting up meth, heroin, whatever it is, right? So 
this is a powerful text um, in that the shepherd, when he finds the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Um, and when he comes home, I notice that he doesn't take it back to the 99, because that wouldn't be safe, right? He, take, he comes home. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Um, and, and then it says there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous that need no repentance. So this picture of Jesus, um, the friend of sinners, the shepherd who, who brings back the lost sheep, that's inspired our whole ministry. Um, this was from our website. Children Web is a shepherding ministry that seeks after lost sheep until they're found, cares for, defends, and protects, gathers, feeds, and heals, equips, and sends out. Um, and so, so how do we do that? What sort of posture do we, do we need to, to adopt, I guess, to, to be able to effectively reach out to, to these beloved ones? Uh, I'm going to let Zach Joy uh, tell us what so he thinks. How does, it, how does the church kind of respond? Does it work just to have a building and a service and put out the sign in front of your church that you have services at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m.? Is that enough? No. No. Church needs to happen... Um, you know, on the street, it needs to happen wherever these addicts are. You know, you need to bring church. Church is inside of us. It's not a building. And we have, you know, when two or more gather, God is there and that's church. And people are not gonna come to a clean building. They're not gonna come sit with people in nice clothes and it will just make them feel completely awkward and uncomfortable. And so we have to take it to them. So we have to feel awkward and uncomfortable. So you're saying that we have to change um, first and foremost before we expect anyone else to change? Yes. <laughs> so um, so we, we, we go out to people. We go to their homes, inspired by Luke 10. You know, the, um, rather than hosting people, we, we're the hosts. I mean, we're the guests. And we, uh, people that welcome us in, we, we eat the food that they present, give to us, or the, you know, or the bottled water or you know, whatever it is. You know, we, we, we receive their hospitality and we offer to, to pray for them. Um, we do that in the jails, um, and, the, and, and that's, that's really what we've done for years is establish rapport through just regular chaplaincy. Um, you know, we're, we go in twice a week um, and do a series of Bible studies and that are more than just Bible studies. I mean, they're really encounters with, with inmates where we're talking about our lives and we're looking at a text from the Bible, we're praying we do it with the women. Gracie does it with the women, and we have a whole team of women chaplains. And we've done that for 25 years, and that's what builds up the trust so people know us. And, uh, and when they get out, we're hoping that they come by, and they, and they do more and more. Um, you know, we need circles of... We need recovery houses, recovery ministries. Uh, we've been active in helping a ministry in Siberia that is run by... It's all churches, and they, they start recovery houses. That's how they start the church. They... They just rent a place and they go find addicts off the streets that bring them in. And uh, it's just sweeping through the, uh, Siberia. And all the pastors are ex-drug ex, uh, dealers and mafia people. And I mean, it's the craziest ministry I've ever seen. And it's successful. Um, so what we try to do is we see our ministry as like seeking and finding through the uh, jail, jail ministry, the migrant chaplaincy, our ministry in Honduras, the gang ministry. And then caring for, defending, and protecting, we do that through our family support center and through recovery houses, gathering, feeding, and healing through the church, 
and then equipping and sending out through the People's Seminary. And people come in at different places. They don't, uh, we have other, 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 other pieces as well, like the Psalms group. We have Psalms that are read every night at nine o'clock. And so there's somebody that hosts a gathering of whoever wants to show up and gospels every morning at eight, from 8.30 to nine. So um, Luke 14, you know, setting the banquet um, table and going out to the highways and the byways, you know, we do that. And uh, our building is, uh, you know, is, is a place that's right in the heart of a big drug area. And um, Psalms happens every night. And so many people, homeless people, homeless youth, just they come in and out of there. And, and Julio, um, the guy um, up there in the corner, he was a dealer for 30 years and a coyote smuggled people in from the Arizona-Mexico border. You know, he, after 20 years of me pastoring him, he finally surrendered to Jesus and he's been clean and part of our ministry, one of our pastors for the last seven years. He welcomes people in and uh, they start with, uh, I think it's Psalm 67, Chucky, this homeless guy, uh, not a homeless guy, he lives across the street. He reads that and then whoever wants to read, reads the Psalm. And they end reading Psalm 91 and while people are reading, Julio anoints everyone with oil and prays over them. And it's, it's beautiful. There's so many people that have been introduced to the faith with no background, no faith background at all, who come into our, you know, who show up there. And some of them end up coming, becoming part of our church, getting baptized. Um, so we have, you know, Bible study outside, inside. Our church is deliberately uh, a church for offenders, ex-offenders, you know, people with warrants. We tell them, you know, Jesus has a warrant for your arrest. You know, but he's not, you know, he has his own way of reaching you, and it's different than law enforcement. Sometimes they coincide. <laughs> and uh, so we, we try to have our place be really safe for the addicts, which means that it's not very safe for people that aren't using. So people come in, and they reek like weed. And so it's not completely safe for some addicts that are in recovery. But we just say, look, if you need to be completely isolated from all that, then, then it's not going to be safe for you. But... We're a, you know, we're a place for people not yet in recovery, in recovery, and whatever post is, I guess you're always in recovery. Um, so the church needs to be an alternative community. The thing that helped us the most was uh, when we showed up at Tierra Nueva, nobody cared that we were junkies. Nobody cared that we stuck needles in our arm. Nobody cared that we slept in the streets or stole our food or that we smelled funny. They just cared that, they, that we were there and they wanted to help. Uh, establish a relationship with us, but not only with the individuals in the church, they also wanted to introduce us to Jesus um, because they understood that it was actually Jesus is the one that does all the healing. We are just pieces to help facilitate that. So we, we have our church as a place that people know they can come to and find a welcome like the prodigal who, who returns. And, and we're looking you know, for those individuals, and we're and we're trying to model that, that that you know that running towards and embracing those that make movements towards towards us. And uh, as I said, you know, more and more and more people are, are coming who are who are ex addicts. What what do Christians need to know to be uh, be able to be effective at, at at really helping people who are meth addicts get free? Um. It, it's going to depend on where they're at. You know, they, they might just be ready to just absorb Jesus and they might just need human love before that come, before Jesus comes. I think human love is so important when you are 
are not familiar with the Holy Spirit because there is no love where we come from. It's the most empty feeling to, to use methamphetamines. Um, it's evil. It feels evil when it hits your body. It separates you from everybody. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a feeling of um, non-existence and, and trying to be. You know, yeah, you're moving fast, but all I ever did while I was out there on the streets is work on getting more. Constant was just working on getting my cigarettes, my alcohol, and my drug. And I would steal from stores and, and things like that because, which isn't in my nature. You know, as soon as I stopped doing drugs, I didn't steal a thing and didn't have it. I don't even have the urge. Um, it was only to get my alcohol so that I could drink it. So, yeah. Um, I think maybe having a plan of what you can offer them. And it's not things, but only if they want to be, if they want to be clean and sober, something comfortable, you know, just something beautiful, maybe a blanket for them or a little pair of slippers, like, cause slippers say you're going to be inside. Slippers say comfort, you know, and, um, blankets say comfort. Um, we say comfort, just maybe just a little, um, wow, you really matter this much. We have to find ways to address the void. Okay. Um, the thirst that people have is real, and, and, it's, and it's good. It's, it's okay to be thirsty, right? Um, but people don't know where to go to get their thirst quenched. Um, Isaiah 55, Hey, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come. Buy and eat, come. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That pretty, sounds pretty easy. Um, why, um, why pay money for something that will not nourish you? Why, um, why spend your hard-earned money on something that will not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is nourishing. Enjoy fine food. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you might live. This is God speaking, right? And so it's like one of what we're trying to do is connect people to, to Jesus. Okay? Like we're doing everything we can to... Try, try to mediate that connection, but, but it's really, it's not about them and us. It is about them and us in the sense that we're, you know, we're the carriers of the Spirit, but then what it's really about is helping them learn how to pray, learn how to depend upon God, how to expect God to come through for them. A lot of people don't even dare to pray for themselves when they're in a strung-out state because they say, well, I can't expect God to help me until I get my life together. And where have they got that message that you have to get your life together before you can expect help? You know, we, we tell people, look, um, sin doesn't separate God from you. Sin makes you a target of God's love, of God's pursuit. And we try to embody that ourselves. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him or her will become in him or her a well of water springing up to eternal life. Okay, well, how would you know whether that's true? I always tell people, I said, I've got the best weed on the west coast of the United States. It beats Vancouver, you know, British Columbia, BC Bud, it beats Skagit, homegrown, it beats anything from Mexico. Like, how would you know whether that was true? You'd have to try it, okay? So, you know... Um, Jesus has to be tried. Jesus has to be tried. And one of the roles of, a, of, of the church is to, is to 
is to be trying it, trying out, trying Jesus out, you know, and and then inviting people to to try Jesus out. Okay, we need to be like actively pushing Jesus. You know, we need to be, you know, there's all these um, um, houses, right? The you know the the meth houses, um, the trap houses. Like, what if we had houses of prayer? Um, you know, uh, in all these neighborhoods. Uh, or what if that was our objective, was to gradually just convert trap houses into houses of prayer? You know, how would you do that? Well, you need to go into those houses. You'd need to go into those trap houses and pray for people. Well, I've done that. I've done that quite a bit, and, and people are receptive to prayer. They'll, they'll let you pray for them. You can go into a trap house and offer to pray for people. You can be busy 24-7. You might need meth to stay, uh, stay awake so that you could pray, or some kind of, hopefully the Holy Spirit in so the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, you know, we offer communion every week. Um, strength is something that meth gives people, they say, but it doesn't, doesn't work because it only gives them strength until they crash, you know, after however many hours they're up on it. But the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Do we believe that? You know, do we experience that ourselves? Can we talk about that with authority because we're experiencing it? But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength. Is he? A very present help in trouble. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. We have to look at what meth is bringing people uh, and what meth is bringing people unsuccessfully. And then we need to bring the better you know, the better substance, so to speak, the presence of God. We need to be able to bring that in and, and, and invite people to receive that and to try that out. And, um, and we need to go with confidence, you know, and humility as we do that. And what I find is that that makes a difference. Like we regularly pray over meth users, uh, you know, in the jail last Thursday, I was in there and I said, hey, um, how many of you feel like you've had brain damage from meth, meth, methamphetamine use? Um, and because uh, I believe Jesus wants to resurrect some brain cells. If he could resurrect Lazarus from the dead, maybe, you know, I believe he can resurrect some dead brain cells. How, who would need prayer for that? If you need prayer for that, put your hand on your head. Everybody's like, but maybe you have, you know, your liver's kind of gone through some serious trauma from all the substances that you've ingested. And so we can pray for that too. And then they're like, you know, put a hand on your liver and like, and maybe your heart is really hurting because really all of it is about pain. And then they're like, ah, <laughs> And we pray for people, right? And, and people tell us that, that they notice change, okay? That, that God answers those prayers. Okay? People need, to, they need the body of Christ to be a believing community that goes in and, you know, um, hands-on prays for people. And that's what we see is making the difference. Um, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You know, I believe that's true. Do we believe that's true? Comfort, joy, and empowerment, okay? Uh, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, um, which this is a word that means also comforter, you know, um, defender. So um, people need that comforter. Uh, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he abides in you 
and will be in you. Well, are you, are you sure that he's in you? Do you, do, you, do you wonder whether he is, that comforter's in you? Do you want, would, you, would you want that comforter in you if you, could, if, you, if you could have that comforter in you? I'll ask people, and they're like, yes. Okay, well, let's, anyone that wants the comforter inside of you, the Holy Spirit that Jesus says he'll send to anyone who waits for that, you know, who, who turns towards him. Um, hey, how about just praying right now? Do you, you guys want to go for it? They do. They want to go for it. These are people that are unchurched inmates, okay? On a regular basis, we're praying for people like that, and they're receiving. It's easy, okay? Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of the Father upon you, but you're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power. See, empowerment is, is something that the Holy Spirit offers. It's a greater level of empowerment, a healthy empowerment that beats meth for sure. Um, there's a text that I want to look at uh, in closing. Um, you know, we see that meth has been one of the biggest challenges. Well, heroin is a big challenge too. Um, but a text that we've gone to recently um, and found a lot of support for us, for our ministry, is Mark 9. Um, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. This is when they came down from the Mount Transfiguration. So they had this spiritual high, Peter, James, and John, and they came down, um, and immediately the entire crowd saw him. Um, they were amazed, and they began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what were you discussing? What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. So I felt like that father. I mean, I felt like uh, that father that I've I brought, you know, the, the sheep, the lost sheep that I found, um, you know, um, t- to Jesus. To, I mean, I've, I've, they've come to me, and I haven't been able to to do what Jesus did in the Gospels, right? I can totally relate to this text, and what we're up against is a huge challenge. That is a humbling challenge. That that really this meth epidemic is humbling us. And it, it should humble us. If, it, if it's humbling you, good, okay? Because that, that, that's what's going to cause us all to, to seek uh, some stronger medicine, you know? Um, and God is the doctor, the great physician. The spiritual power of meth. Um, uh, so using speed, it can have the effect on you immediately. And that would be the same effect as you would have if you were a Christian and if you fasted and prayed for days, except it happens almost instantly when you're using methamphetamines. So what happens? What do you feel? Doors open, spiritual doors open, and you are no longer walking in this world. So why wouldn't that be a good thing? It is a good thing if you don't want to be in this world, if you're miserable. Yeah. It is a good thing. And it's desirable, though, because you can go there and interact with angels, right? And that's what people are doing. They're going into a different dimension in reality and and interacting with these things, you know, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And so that's why it's so attractive, because when you're in that spot, you don't want to leave it. Even though it may be evil, it still feels like a complete escape from this miserable world that you've been living in. 
you know. So, so we're dealing with powers. Um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? And when, when we begin to work, walk alongside meth users, what we, we encounter that, okay? And so this scripture, I think, is, is highly relevant. Um, so Jesus summoned the 12. Um, you know, he, he had sent them out to, uh, to cast out evil spirits, right? And, uh, but apparently, in this case of this, of this uh, man and his young son, they weren't able to do it. Um, they'd, they'd seen that they were able to do it in other settings, but now they were being challenged beyond what they were capable of doing, right? So um, Jesus answered them. Oh, um, he said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? I love that Jesus doesn't say, oh, unbelieving disciples. You know, he kind of included the whole generation, so he didn't shame his disciples. He just... He, but Jesus expected um, his disciples and his followers, he expected people to be able to address problems. He expects us to be able to address these problems. And he's thinking, wow, the time is getting short. It's time for me to exit the earth. And you guys aren't able to deal with this yet? You know, that's kind of what I, how I read this. Um, how long will I put up with you? Bring him to me. Thanks be to God that that's still, uh, Jesus is still there extending his, that offer. You know, bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. But when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Hey, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was going to be able to take care of this just like that. But no, things get worse, okay? Things get worse even when, 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 when he's, someone's being brought to Jesus. Okay, that, to me, this text tells us something about accompanying meth users and lots of other kind of people in, in distress is that Sometimes people, things get worse before they get better. Okay, even when we're, we're at our best, things will get worse before they get better. Look how Jesus answers it. He asks the father, how long has this been happening to him? So Jesus shows curiosity. He wants to get to the root of the problem. He's, uh, he's a, he's a, he doesn't come as a know-it-all. He comes in humility, and he begins a conversation, a pastoral conversation with the father. Uh, the father said from childhood, Okay. It's often thrown him both into the fire and to the water to destroy him. So probably not just epilepsy, because it's like throwing him into the fire and into water. Okay, that's, so he's diagnosing, right? But if you can do anything, the man says, take pity on us and help us. Now there's a prayer. If you can do anything, take pity on us. That, that's, that's, some of the major, that's some of the most important vocabulary of prayer in the scriptures is, is have, have mercy upon me, you know, have compassion on me. Take pity on us and help us. So um, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Um, I love this, you know, I, th I think this is, a, this is a, a real word to the body of Christ here in Winnipeg. All things are possible to the one who believes and who keeps on believing. It's a that's a continuous tense in Greek, okay? Immediately, the boy's father cried out, okay? Another, another verb of prayer. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Okay? This is a, this is a prayer that, uh, that I prayed, that I'm praying, okay, as, as I face many people that we're walking alongside. We still have people that relapse. Um, I mean, we expect, we expect relapse, but we don't... Um, not to protect ourselves, but just we know it's going to happen. Um, 
but, but we're crying out, you know, God, give us faith. We've got to guard our own faith. We've got to protect our own faith. Um, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. So there's some spiritual authority that Jesus exercises. But guess what? Things get worse still before they get better. After crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. Okay, so this is, this is something that we just need to be aware of. When we're walking alongside people with these, you know, with these kinds of addictions, it's, it's a struggle, and things are sometimes going to feel like we're just, the deeper we get, the harder it is. But that's the movement towards recovery. That's actually the movement towards healing. The movement towards healing goes often gets worse before it gets better, but eventually it gets better. Because Jesus takes him by the hand and raises him up, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. And, and um, why couldn't we drive it out? And uh, Jesus said to them, this kind can't come out by anything but prayer. And that's, my, that's, the, that's what I want to leave you all with, is uh, you know, prayer is really where it's at. You know, um, the father here was the model prayer prayer. You know, the father came to Jesus with his son, right? The father uh, t- told Jesus the details of his son's, you know, problem. The father uh, confessed his, uh, cried out for help. If you can do anything, um, heal my son. The father confessed his unbelief and asked for, for God to give him faith. Um, the, the father was persistent with Jesus and, and inspired by the father um, my prayer is that you here in Winnipeg would, would be persistent in your, um, in your conversation with Jesus um, in dialogue and in communion with, um, with meth users uh, here in the city I'd like to just close with a prayer actually so God I, I ask that you would um, empower um, us to reach out um, in love, that you would uh, strengthen us, that you'd give us um, a desire to be in relationship with people, that you show us how, how to go about that, who, when, um, all the details. We ask for um, just a, a, that you give us faith, you know, help our unbelief. Um, give us, uh, empower us by your Holy Spirit to be able to in, engage in the, the, sheep, the lost sheep seeking ministry that you initiated, Jesus. Um, help us um, to know what to do when we find these, um, the ones that you, you, you send us to. You know, strengthen us and give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So that was Bob Ekblad at Canadian Mennonite University sometime in March, just before COVID hit. I think COVID, the whole crisis hit the day Bob left. Yeah, <laughs> or, we were talking about it that week. It was sort of the precursor to. That's right. And, uh, and so, yeah, that happened. That's that week. Yeah, to me, um, one of the things um, I'm always mindful of is when I'm listening to somebody speak, uh, it's consider the source, mm-hmm. right? Because people can be sort of arm, armchair theologians, yeah. armchair sort of uh, activists that, you know, they Slack have... activists. A, yeah, they have ideas. But when you drill wait, down, wait, you wait. find out... What? If, if, you, if you state a strong opinion on Facebook, 
that's that's not it. It's not. If it's in caps. Okay, okay, I'll remember that yeah. as long as I put it in caps. Yeah, and the uh, colorful background. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So, Bob. Uh, yeah, Bob's not not that guy. Not that guy. <laughs> he he's he's. Uh, my mother in law has a saying that she says in in high German, but it's consider the source. Well, well, give so, us the high German. Let's hear it. I can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have a few other ones. We're, we're, Keine uh, Antwort ist auch eine Antwort. That's one. Ach, der Lieberzeit. That's all. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, which means no answer is also an answer. But back to the point at hand. Consider the source. <clears throat> like Bob just really lives this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm always conscious when I'm speaking, uh, if I'm making a point... I, I always want to think about, am I making a point that's disconnected from the way I live, mm-hmm. or am I making a point mm-hmm. that I live? Yeah. And, uh, and, and Bob lives it. Yeah. And so... And that's a rare bird, right? Very like, rare. I mean, <laughs> I remember one of my favorite artists, Rich Mullins, before he passed away, he, in the 90s, he used to sing, he used to say, people would say to him, the church is full of hypocrites. And his response was, no, it's not full. <laughs> there's, there's room for more. You, you're welcome too. And his point being, we're all all hypocrites, right? And I'm sure if Bob was here, he'd say, oh, no, me too. But he's one of the guys that you're like, man, yeah, if there's something resembling someone who's given his all yeah. um, for what he believes in, Bob would be in that category. So we were lucky to have him. Yeah. And... Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was a good word that he had at CMU, and I hope uh, that people can kind of uh, place that in their in their bucket and roll it around. Yeah. Well, so thanks for listening to episode three of ICYA Raw, and we're gonna be back in episode four with a podcast on inner city gang culture and snitching specifically the snitching. Uh, problem as outlined by one of our staff, Ronald Travers, who grew up in the Indian Posse uh, gang in the north end of Winnipeg and had some pretty radical transformations himself. And now um, it's like, what would you say about Ronald? Well, he's living it. He's living it too. Just like Bob. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you're going to hear from him. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.